Tommy Lorenzo. And this is the Pop Style Opinion Fest. Hello, kittens. Welcome back to another edition of the PSO. I am the T in your Tilo, Tom Fitzgerald. And I'm here with the low in your Tilo, Lorenzo Marquez, my lovely husband. Hello. Um, hmm. It's Crazy Friday. Once again, yes. we are slammed with content. No complaints there. And um, we haven't spoken to you in a little while because we didn't do a podcast last week. We had... That was not sort of an executive decision right. because we had done, spent the whole week doing the Oscars and it was honestly more work than we'd had in a year, uh, more, you know, posting content than we had in a year. And we felt like we needed to just give ourselves right. a little break and we didn't want to rehash the Oscars for a podcast. So we thought, no, I'm going to take a week off. And we always kind of secretly love when we don't drop a podcast and we hear this little flurry of, are you guys okay? Where's the podcast? I, I got to love that. So it's thank cute, you. Because I was like, oh, well, they do listen They do to care. <laughs> they really love us. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we're back with opinions and cartoon voices. And uh, we're going to do a whole little uh, pod pourri on... Um, Television, just various things that are coming in and out of our view on television that we haven't had a chance right. to write reviews on or that we're following up on because we already wrote reviews on things like Mayor of Easttown and The Nevers. Um, I want to talk, we're going to have a talk in a little bit about Pose, but right. it's not quite the talk you might think because it's not going to be a review of the season. Um, what else? I know you have your little French shows that you love to talk about that you're going to tell us about that are coming out on Netflix, and we have some reality television news. Right. So just lots of little just, bits and pieces. Yes, bits and pieces. Um, just a little business before we get started. We are now having to consider how often we are should be synergistic with our various platforms because we have so many of them now, but we launched... Our newsletter this week, uh, twirling through it. Yeah, and if you go to our yeah. website, TomandLorenzo.com, at the top menu, you can click on the newsletter and get all the information you want on that if you want any. Um, but like I said, it's interesting because we actually had to have a talk just before flipping on the mics where I was like, all right, let's not talk about X, Y, and Z because we're saving that for the newsletter. And when we talk about the newsletter, let's not, you know, t overdo it. Um, and it's weird because we're, there are so many balls in the air, so to speak, at Tilo International that it's, it's becoming a whole different, it, right. it, it's starting to feel very different. Um, but, but it's fun too, because yeah, it's you, exciting because there are certain things we don't cover on the site than we do here, but there are other things that, you know, we would like to talk about, but it doesn't really work here or the site. And then sometimes we just tweet about it. Right. Um, so then we have the newsletter now. So we can, you know, expand. I always say it's to expand a little more our voice uh, to go places where we don't go on the site or in here now. Yeah, it's um, I can definitely see from a reader perspective or an outsider perspective that maybe it, it looks like, um, you know, an active ego to think that you just need to keep adding more and more platforms to your, you know, to whatever. But it's actually, as we tried to explain in the first um, as, you know, entry on the newsletter, the first newsletter, was why we felt it was necessary to do this, why it, it isn't an act of ego, it's an act of um, sort of self-preservation almost. It's as a business, as a media, you know, empire. As an empire. Yes. Um, <laughs> we have to keep these things open. We have to constantly look for things to keep ourselves updated and that sort of thing. So it's it's not an expansion of our business 
not not yet, not in any real way, but it is an expansion on um, the things we can talk about and the way we can talk about them. We have tried to maintain a consistent voice in everything we do, whether that's a blog post and whether that blog post is, you know, uh, a red carpet, you know, some snarky little red carpet thing, or it's an 1800 word costume design analysis order. We've tried to keep a certain voice that, that felt consistent. That voice has carried through in our books. And I think it has carried through in this podcast, but I think every single thing we do has a slightly different take on our voice. And what I like about the newsletter is it, it sort of combines the blog and this podcast in certain ways because I've always maintained that there are certain topics we can talk about on this podcast that would not work all that great in a, in a blog post because it requires some nuance. It requires some time to unpack. Um, and blog posting is, you know, and there's also the, uh, in, I've always said that in podcasting, we can be just a little more controversial in our opinions, talk about things that are just a little more edge, has a little more edge to them because you you write a blog post and it has a controversial and then that thing just follows you forever and people are months later are finding it and yelling at it and that sort of thing which is fine <laughs> that's part of it i mean in some level you want that engagement as a blogger and it's kind of the same with the podcast too because we we record it and and publish it uh it's not like we format this cutting things that we don't like i mean whatever no that's part of the reason why we don't do one of these like scripted, right. uh, you know, we don't, we've talked about it. Some of the most popular award-winning podcasts out there are very scripted, are very planned out. And um, we, we debated, we even recently we debated about whether we should switch over to that format and it's just not going to work for us. That's not what I can't see us reading off a script. No, I just can't see us doing that for an hour. Um, it's much, this allows us to be sort of freewheeling and anyway, we're talking too much about this. Our newsletter's out. The next entry comes out this either today or tomorrow. The great thing about newsletters is you're not, you, you might get it in your inbox at 11 o'clock tonight if you're a subscriber already. And if you have subscribed, thank you. Um, but we are going to try and explore things in a little more nuanced and a deeper way, still keeping it light, but um, the kind of things that we don't cover on the blog. Um, so check it out, twirling through it. You can find it on TomandLorenzo.com. If you've already subscribed, love you, mean it. Yes, thank you very much. And give a thought to subscribing when you check it out. Okay. Should I leap into television talk? We, we, we. Okay. Um, you know, we, we were very focused on award season all the way up until last week. So there wasn't a lot of TV reviewing going on. And I feel like we're going to jump back into that in the months ahead and possibly some more movie reviews. I don't know. We might, I might actually go to some screeners this summer. I don't some, you know, screenings this Mm -hmm. summer in an actual theater. We'll see. Anyway, this is almost like a catch up where we want to talk about a few things that have already happened or are about to happen, but we weren't able to cover on the blog. So first up is Jupiter's legacy, which I will talk about because Lorenzo hasn't seen it. And Lorenzo would have absolutely no interest I don't in it even whatsoever. Know where that is. <laughs> don't worry, Lorenzo's got his subtitled TV shows to recommend in I a few minutes. I saw the email, <laughs> and that, that's yeah. it. I don't even know. I watched the screeners about a month ago out of um, uh, sort of morbid curiosity. Jupiter's Legacy is yet another superhero show. Uh, it is not based on um, any properties that you've ever heard of. It's one of these. Um, 
uh, sort of deconstructed takes on superhero icons, like it, which were very popular uh, starting about 25, 30 years ago in the world of comic books. It was to write these stories about characters that sort of reminded you of Superman and Wonder Woman, but um, they were a lot edgier and you could do things with them and you could explore them without actually, you know, defiling the image of these icon icons. So it became a thing in comics writing that was very popular for a long time. It's still popular on some level. And you, the the boys, which is on Amazon Prime, is, is no pun intended, a prime example of that sort of genre of deconstructed superheroes. Uh, I don't like it. I don't watch it. I didn't like the series it was based on. Uh, Invincible is another one. It just wrapped its first season on Prime. Uh, it's a uh, animated version of a comic book that is written by uh, Robert Kirkman, who was also the creator of The Walking Dead. And like The Walking Dead, it is a very long-form, serialized story that he had in mind from the beginning to pretty much the end of the story. It was a very interesting take on um, sort of the Superman legacy, the, although it wasn't specifically about that. Um, and unbelievably violent. If you saw the uh, finale, which aired last Friday, just probably the most violent superhero adaptation you've ever seen in your life. That is largely the point of some of these stories is to explore um, the idea that superheroes are um, disturbingly violent uh, figures who are more fascistic than they are heroic. The, the basic idea of superheroism is fascism. Is It is about the ubermensch or the uber-wealthy imposing I mean, what is Bruce Wayne but an extremely wealthy billionaire who is imposing his will on the city? You know, that there's and there's stuff to explore there, but it's a cliche at this point. And Jupiter's Legacy uh, was a comic that was written by one of the masters of deconstructing superheroes. I can't stand his work, but he's very popular, Mark Millar, Scottish comic book writer. He also created like the Kingsman, the the one with uh, Taron Egerton, the mm -hmm. movie. Like he does a lot of these deconstructed takes on iconic her heroes. So Jupiter's Legacy is sort of a take on the Justice League. There's sort of a Superman and sort of a Wonder Woman and they're married and they're like 100 years old because they've been superheroes since the 1930s, but they don't age. And then they all have kids and those kids are adult heroes too. So it's this sort of generational thing that explores the whole idea of um, the code. In this case, it's called the code, and they keep referring to the code, which is that you never kill. Superheroes never kill. Uh, so it was a deconstructed take that was supposed to take on this idea of naive mm -hmm. heroism embodied in something like the Justice League. And so that's background. Um, I'm not inclined to love these stories. I find them all... Um, childish in the extreme and i know that's kind of a stupid thing to say about a superhero adaptation because they're all so, sort of childish but when you get into these deconstructed takes um it always seems to wind up in the same place the heroes all have sexual hang-ups and or um uh, issues of like psych sociopathy like psychopathy problems where they are it's so violent that they're literally ripping people to shreds or, or just going around raping people you know that it's so I, I, there was a time when that seemed very edgy, when it seemed like, okay, you're really exploring what the undertones of these stories are. And, and there is, yeah, there is an, uh, an aspect of uber violence and even sexual violence that can be found in classic superhero stories. 
there's nothing wrong with exploring it, but that stuff is overexplored at this point, and it never goes to any place interesting. The thing with Jupiter's legacy is it is probably the least interesting uh, version of this story I've ever seen. Even The Boys, which I don't like, has something going for it in terms of what it's trying to do. But um, this was so stale. Uh, the cast is not interesting. Josh Duhamel, no, sorry, don't mean to be mean, but he's as bland as bland gets. Very good-looking guy, but super bland. And he's the lead, and the whole story revolves around him, and he just doesn't have the charisma to pull it off. The costumes are hideous. Um, <laughs> the pacing on the show was really weird. I think it's only eight episodes long, and some of the episodes are only 30 minutes long. So it doesn't have that sort of bloat that Netflix shows ha have. On the other hand, the story could have been told in two hours in a movie. Um, there's a big twist at the end of the season. I don't know. I couldn't recommend this at all to anyone. It's even to superhero fans. I just feel like the story is bland. None of the characters are interesting. Everybody's forgettable. The only, In fact, the only characters that have any sort of edge to them are total assholes. Uh, which is very typical of stories like this. Good people are um, boring and not good people are just raging assholes that are impossible to be around. <laughs> it's a very simplistic way. And I realize like superheroes themselves are very simplistic, of course. Um, but if you're going to deconstruct them, I think there are better, more interesting things to look at, like all the men are, are asshole rapists and have sex issues. You know, it's just... So, no, uh, long story short, I cannot recommend this at all. Uh, I mean, I cannot recommend this at all. It's not well acted. Uh, the scripts are dull. Um, some of these special effects look straight out of like a, you know, like a CW superhero adaptation. Like I, you would expect a little more from Netflix. There's just no spark to it. There's no interest in the story. And it's kind of goofy looking in the end. So that's my big wrap up on Jupiter's Legacy. Didn't like it. Wouldn't recommend it. Lorenzo, go. Hmm. Um, I well, the good news is that um, very good news. Um, um, Call my agent is returning. Uh, it felt like it was done, but I guess the show is so popular that they decided to come back. So there's going to be another season. It's a French show. It's on Netflix. Yes, yes, yes. And um, and they're making a movie too. That's what oh, I, read. I didn't know yeah. that. It's it's a fantastic show and and it to me is the kind of show that you can always have another season because they bring different people. Last season they brought a Sigourney Weaver and she was amazing, absolutely amazing, funny, fabulous. So they they can always bring these actors playing an actor. Um, so I don't know why when I mean the last episode because I love the show. You you watching the last episode? I was like, no, what are you doing? Why are you why are you going? <laughs> um, but Thank God they're returning, and um, it's a funny show. If you haven't watched it yet, it's a fantastic show. It's about an agency, uh, and they represent, you know, celebrities, actors. Um, and it's just, you know, the everyday situations that they go through uh, to please the actor or to find work for the actor. And it's really, really funny, and it's a very, very French uh, show in the sense that it that that has that very raw uh, French humor. It's not like Emily in Paris, you know, fake French humor. No, it's like real French humor. Uh, and the actors are fantastic. So I'm very glad it's coming back. And apparently they, they're going to have a movie too. Fabulous. So that's number one. The other French one is Lupin. Uh, Lupin, the uh, French show about a mystery uh, thriller uh, based on books. Um, 
it's coming back to. And it, I, I knew it was going to come back because the way it ended last season, it was really abrupt and, and just made no sense where it ended. So I was like, yeah, that, that, they're definitely coming back. So yes, another one coming back. Excellent. I know you love both of those shows. I do. They're they're fun. Uh, that's one thing about Netflix. I I I will always say about Netflix that you can find a lot of trash, but they have so many shows that if you and especially if you like international shows, you can always find something. You can always find the country you're looking for. You know, uh, if you want to just go for Polish shows or right any show, uh, German shows, Italian shows, French shows, you can always find a ton of them. Um, and you know that's really what I like about Netflix. Uh, it's I hadn't seen this before anywhere. Uh, this this menu, this you know, this right. vast, um, all these choices that you have to watch whatever you want from any country. Agreed. Um, do you want to talk a little bit because we haven't been able to cover them too much? Uh, the two shows we're watching on Sunday night on HBO, which is The Nevers and Mayor of East Town. Before we get to both of which we have talked about on this podcast, but we thought we'd check in right. again. But apparently, we're not checking in. No, before we talk about the shows we're actually watching, uh, let's just make another announcement uh, that Making the Cut is coming back. Uh, Gonna get to that later. Oh, okay. okay. Well, so, uh, all right, we'll no, talk no, about go that to make, later. Go making the cut. Making go. the cut is coming back, which I actually liked it. It's the I, Tim Gunn, Heidi Klum show, um, yes. not Project Runway show that's on Amazon Prime. Right. It's coming back. Um, I figured it would come back. Um, again, they're going to be traveling around the world. There's going to be like runway shows in Paris, Japan. I forget where When else. is it coming back? Oh, uh, good question. Um, hmm. um, oh, July 16th. July 16th, all right. So it's coming back on Amazon Prime. So uh, it's Tim Gunn again, Heidi Klum, of course. Uh, the other, the judges from season one are not coming back, like Naomi Campbell or uh, who else? Joseph Altazara, they're not coming back. So now they're going to have Jeremy Scott. You know, from Moschino. From Moschino, and he's fun. He's a lot of fun. Uh, Prabhu Guru um, and uh, the, the very famous model, uh, Winnie Howell. It's coming back. Very cool. So it'll be fun. I think it'll be fun. I actually enjoyed it. I, I do enjoy when they bring designers from several countries and international designers and they travel the world and they get inspired by, you know. I could do without the Heidi and Tim sketches. That they, I hope they don't have that of again. Of course they're yes. going to do that stuff. They're the executive producers. True. Um, I mean, I, I will be very honest that I am probably a little tapped out on fashion reality television right. having done so much of it uh in our careers um i don't know what's happening with project runway if and when that's it is ever coming back oh yeah. it is coming back i okay. just don't know when yeah as for making the cut i didn't love it uh it was gimmicky and um uh you know the it had that whole amazon component to it where what, you, you could buy the clothes immediately so it just it made the whole i hate that yeah i mean whatever the end result was largely the same as any project runway season it was neither more commercial nor was it any edgier or more avant-garde than what you would get out of that i do think um uh, well, I don't know. I just don't think there's ever been a reality television fashion judge as good as Nina Garcia. And when you don't have that, you're really missing something. Right. I do think, the, and again, I'll say it again, the, the reason why I like it, because they have designers from several countries. Like season two, they're going to have someone from Poland, from France, from England, India, Colombia, 
and some from the United States also. I love that. I love the fact that these people, you know, they have a, ba- a different background, different story, different way of uh, looking at fashion in general. So I do like all of that. And the fact that they travel. So, yes. Yeah. I mean, it is an expensive show. They mount quite uh, the runway show every week. And it they that Amazon money goes into mm-hmm. uh, quite the production. So it is fun to look at. Um, we'll be covering it. I don't know how, whether we'll be doing recaps or what I think last season we did it all on this podcast. We'll see. Uh, it's up in the air how we're going to we cover have it. Too. I don't remember. Um, what else? Drag Race Down Under has started. We're yeah. still doing, we're still in the Drag Race game. Um, uh, it, it, I don't really have anything to say about that. I, it, it it's fine. Um, I'm actually a little more interested in Drag Race Spain when that does come out because when we covered uh, Drag Race Holland last year, I was like, wow, there really is a different... You do get something else when they're not mm-hmm. speaking English. when Because right. it, it really forces you, as someone who doesn't speak the language, to um, sort of lean in a little bit more and look at, you know, try and get nuance out of facial expressions and stuff like that. Um, and you feel like... Uh, whether it's true or not, you feel like you're getting something a little truer to the culture rather than something that's trying to be right. packaged for American audiences, um, which you could you could accuse the UK version of the show of being like that. Um, aside from that, I don't have anything to say about Drag Race. I know people are really tired of it, and I don't blame them. We, of course, have a vested interest to keep talking mm-hmm. about this show because we have a book that is, you know, a, partially about the show. Um, but I... I'm a lot less tired of Drag Race than I am of fashion television, of, right. of Project Runway and stuff like that. I, it's still more fun to watch drag queens try and figure out uh, challenges each week than it is trying to find... I mean, after so many years of covering fashion television, fashion reality shows, the bottom line is what they ask those people to do mm-hmm. is not fashion in any way. Mm-hmm. It doesn't result in good fashion. It doesn't result in good choices. It's just good television. It doesn't result in good execution. It just results in a lot of stressed out people, mm-hmm. and occasionally you might get a, right. an entertaining scene out of it. So I, 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 I find it less interesting, because at least with a talent competition like Drag Race, um, ultimately it is your talent that is being judged here. It's not you know whether or not right. you could make a dress in six hours. Anyway, what was that noise? I don't know. I heard a noise. Maybe one of the cats. Um, I do. I don't remember the name now, but the fashion show they had on Netflix was actually kind of my favorite. See, I didn't love that one. I'm so done. I can't remember what that was called. I think it. Yeah, I forget what it's called. But it, it the way it was done, um, it was more real than any other fashion show I've watched. Um, the thing with Drag Race uh, is that every every time they announce a new cast a new season i'm like oh my god here we go again you know i'm i'm kind of tired but i watched the first episode and, and i'm in it and you can hear me like laughing uh because it's funny it's a the new queens are fu- girl. right yeah. uh and drag queens are funny um and in a way drag queens are very different from each other uh uh and the show has brought different queens and they're funny and they they're just funny and creative right. so i enjoy it um, the Dutch version is, it's, oh, the, not the Dutch version, the, the, is that Australian version officially or? It's down under, it's Australia and New Zealand. Right. So that one I like, the Queens are hysterical. The first episode was very funny. As I mentioned here before, I'm a huge fan of like the mini challenges. I really, really like them. Um, because I think they're just light. There's not a lot of pressure and they're just funny. Very, very queer and funny. So I'll, I'll watch it again. I mean, I'll, I'll yeah. 
as long as they have something creative and even though this last season of drag race was kind of dull i still yeah i'm still in it as a drag race fan as as a recapper or whatever i'm i'm fine Mm -hmm. i'm fine with drag race i'm bored by these fashion shows but i'm still in it for drag race (laughs) all right so um the nevers which we are still not recapping because um show runner creator joss whedon is too problematic a figure for us to devote too much time to the series although i'm not gonna lie i look forward to it every sunday yeah yeah what is that noise i don't know um Oh, oh, I know what it is. We just got new... Oh, um, is that they're eating? We just got new dishes for the cats that are raised off the floor and shaped shaped like little cat heads, and they make a lot of noise, and I don't know if you can pick them up on the mic, but they're showing up in our our headphones. Anyway, uh, the Nevers. I do. I look forward to it every... I still think whatever complaints I had about in the beginning are still there. It's a ridiculously overcomplicated story. There are too many people in it and too many different agendas. Every character on some level is a cliche, mm-hmm. and specifically a Joss Whedon cliche, whether it's the wide-eyed super genius, you know, the wayfish super genius, or the super tough girl who's really cynical. Um, I Go ahead. I They kind of lost me, to be Did honest. Did they? In, in, in trying to figure out the story and trying to understand the story, I kind of just... Gave up on that. I just watched it because it's a pretty show. Mm-hmm. Uh, the music, as I mentioned here before, is absolutely gorgeous. I like the music. I like the costumes. I like the um, sets and everything. So that's why I watched the show. I do think that James Norton's uh, character is turning to a Carton character. I don't he's like just, him at all. He's just this clown now. Um, yeah. And I'm like, why? It was interesting in the beginning, especially because James Norton, ten, he tends to do these uptight characters. And this one is a little more... Loose. vulgar yeah <laughs> uh so i i enjoyed that but now it, it's really clownish um but i still like what's her name laura um donnelly donnelly yeah i think she's still great she gives a very strong performance um and it's visually beautiful it um at the end of the third episode it pulled a real whedon move where um I mean, I won't give it away who it was, but I am going to tell you that someone unexpectedly died in the story who was presented as if they were going to be a major character. Uh, and that's a very Whedon thing to do. And he kind of hooked him. I, I won't deny when that happened, I was like, okay, now I'm in this story. Mm-hmm. Even though I, I saw it as such a... Exp- he was very famous for his Kill Your Darlings line where he feels like all in, with every show he does, he has to kill people off in order to keep the audience on their toes. And he's not entirely wrong in that, except sometimes it gets, it feels like checking off a box. And when this character was killed, I was like, well, there goes that box. But I did become more invested in the story once this character died, because I didn't expect it, and and I didn't know which direction it was going to go in. Um, There are certain turns in the story where I'm like, all right, you got me with this. Um, the whole alliance with Bonfire Annie, which she's one of the few characters in the in the story that I think uh, I think you could just make a show about her. She's mm-hmm. a lot more interesting than most of the other right. characters in the story. She was initially presented as a bad guy, and now she's this again is a very Whedon thing to do. She's now allying herself with the hero, you know. So I was I was down with that, and then in the last episode, it turned out that one of the main characters was a spy, and she was actually a bad person. Oh, I gave away the gender, but it's almost all women. 
Uh, again, very Whedon move. Like you're checking things off. This person, you know, shifting alliances. The bad, the bad guy becomes a good guy. The good guy becomes a bad guy. Suddenly somebody dies. All of this is right out of the Whedon playbook. Um, and if I thought that was all the show was going, yeah, I'll put it this way. He left the show after the first season was completed, largely because his his um, his reputation was in tatters because all of these allegations came out against him. The show has been picked up for a second season. Someone else is going to pick up the reins of, you know, writing and running the show. And that is why I'm still in it. Mm -hmm. If Joss Whedon was coming back for season two, I probably would have checked out by now simply because I'm like, this is so Whedon Mm -hmm. that I know exactly where it's going to wind up going in season two. Knowing that he, someone else is taking over. I'm like, well, okay, there's some good things in this. There's a setup in here that, even though it is, you know, X-Men in Victorian London, which isn't the freshest concept in the world, there's a good cast. They put a lot of money into it. Um, and every once in a while, the story goes in a direction or, or takes a turn. And I'm like, well, I didn't see that coming. And anytime a television show can do that mm-hmm. for a cynical old me who always sees it coming or thinks he can always see it coming, I remain invested, even though I can see all the other things that are wrong with the show. I do not know where it's going, and it keeps surprising me, so I'm still in it. Mm-hmm. Um, it has every problem I ever said, suggested. It, none of that has changed. Um, the character, the dialogue is really awful in that really quippy, quirky sort of Whedon way, even though he hasn't written every script and he hasn't directed every episode. Having said that, the episodes that he didn't direct were much better. Mm. Interesting. This is why I'm invested. I'm like, right. you know, I feel like the concept and the cast is is there. And if you just took the Whedon out of it, it you really might have something interesting. Maybe it'll, it'll get better uh, <laughs> with the new season. We'll see. Um, I'm really, like I said, I'm invested in it. And I didn't expect to become invested in it. So I'm, I, I almost wish, yeah, I wish Whedon wasn't involved. Because this is the kind of show that I might have some fun uh, recapping mm-hmm. and talking about various theories and everything like that about where it was going. But uh, I don't want to pay that much attention to it. Uh, so I'm just going to check in on it, uh, you know, via podcast for now. Um, uh, real quick, before we get into Mary Easttown, are you going to watch the Game of Thrones prequel, which um, the pictures were first released this week? Probably not. Uh, i got to say I might watch it. I mean, I have to say, Matt Smith alone Mm -hmm. is reason for me to consider watching it. It's called uh, House of the Dragon. It's a prequel. Uh, It it is based on the books because Mm -hmm. George R.R. Martin Martin wrote a history for Westeros that spanned, you know, millennia. And this apparently takes place about two or three hundred years before the uh, events of the television, you know, Game of Thrones TV series, um, which ended in a very disappointing manner and soured a lot of people on the show. And I think for a lot of people, that's a reason why they don't want to watch this. But I think, you know, Game of Thrones was great until they had to end it. And they didn't have an ending for it because there was no ending for the book. And that's when it all fell apart. But that that isn't going to be an issue with this because they have all the material they need to tell this story. There is no... You know, they have it. It's all coming from the book. So I don't feel that they're going to lose their way halfway through it. Um, there's some interesting um, cast members. Matt Smith, Reese fans is in it mm-hmm. as well. 
Um, and I like Matt Smith because he's between The Crown and Doctor Who, he has shown that he can do uh, fantasy based genre work, but he can also do like period work. And what is Game right. of Thrones but right. genre work and period you know, work he's, combined? He's, he's a good actor, and that's the thing with Game of Thrones. Um, all the main characters were terrible actors, um, with a few exceptions. And all oh, the, that's controversial. Well, yeah, I well, wouldn't say that. M- m- a lot of them. Um, the thing with Game of Thrones is that it was a very long show, and they cast people who weren't very talented, and then we were stuck with them until the end, especially the two last ones. I don't. That's so weird. I didn't know that you oh felt that God. way. Oh, my God. The yes. problem was the writing, not the cast. No. Oh, God. I was just going to say, Emilia Clark and Kid Herod are terrible actors. Oh, I'll grant you that. And they, In the end, the story came down to the two actors who were the weakest right. in the cast. So, that I'll grant you. So we were stuck with these two until the end. But Maisie Williams was great. Even Sophie yes. Turner was great no, in that role. I, I, uh, Lena Headey, you yeah. know? But, yes, there were great people, but but the show ended with these two, and there was such a terrible season, and the ending was horrible. They had no and, chemistry, and they were just horrible, and yeah. we were stuck with them. Um, and I'm like, oh my god! And, and all the great people died, or or just vanished, and and people like, I don't know, great people didn't have a lot to work with. So and, you're not going to watch House of the Dragon. So having said that, uh, maybe now that Game of Thrones it was it's such a huge was such a huge success until the end, uh, maybe this show will bring great actors and will bring a great production. That's what I'm trying to say. And maybe I'll try. It, and maybe I'll watch it. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. I'm in, I'm intrigued enough by it. Uh, I can't wait to see a trailer or whatever. I mean, they just started shooting, so it'll be a long time. It'll be a long time before we see it. All right, Mayor of Easttown. I'm obsessed. You and everybody else. It's really funny as a Philadelphian. I have watched every episode like five times, and I am so mad at HBO for not sending more screeners. They only send the first two episodes, and I'm like, please, I'm dying here. On the one hand, it's still uh, all the complaints that, that we had about the show are still evident in the sense that it's it's just taken off a lot of narrative boxes. It there's been a, a lot of series, especially European series, mm-hmm. that um, were basically about women detectives in small moist towns full of secrets and dead naked girls in rivers. I mean, it's True. just it's been a lot of shows like that. So and there this, I think part of the reason this sh- this series has captivated so many people is specifically the Philadelphia the Del- Delaware County accent. Mm-hmm. Uh, that um, Kate Winslet and Evan Peters are are utilizing, and everybody else in the cast are utilizing. I think there's such a fascinating. The LA Times has done like three or four different pieces. Everyone is obsessed with it. on the accent yeah. and on Wawa and that sort of thing. Which Wawa, like I know, and we like we go, you to, can go Wawa to Wawa all the time. I know. It's so you don't even think about Wawa. If did you're did we mention that we got uh, like a promo package from from them and they it was it had all, Wawa coffee? It, it had Wawa coffee and had <laughs> tasty. Did it have tasty? Half the people listening are like, what? But it's Wawa. <laughs> Wawa is the one job in my entire employment history that I got fired from. I knew. Shame on yes. you. <laughs> Someday I'll tell the story of that. <laughs> anyway, um, so yeah, it has all that. And as a Philadelphian, it's fun that everyone is so into the accent and 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 the everything about the you know the Philadelphianess of the show. Um, 
But it's... Uh, uh, what am I trying to say here? I'm enjoying the cast. I don't think the story is very interesting. No, the story... If, it's if, not interesting. If you have watched a ton of international shows about cases like that, you know, in a small town, right. somebody get killed... Um, it, it's very obvious where it's going and, and everything. Um, Everybody's it, it, got a secret. Right. It's a small town and all of a sudden you find out all these secrets and everybody's I do want to say sleeping I with got, everybody. I got family in Delaware County. I don't claim to be an expert on Delaware <laughs> County, but this idea that literally everybody in Delaware County went to high school with everybody else in Delaware County That's and, and everybody is related to each other. And I'm just like, well, I mean, you can find pockets like that. You can find people like that who... But you just, don't know everybody. It's not Come like on. that where just everybody knows every single person. No, it's person. not like a small town in Norway. Come on. <laughs> it's not even a small town. It's a suburb. It's right, a county. right, exactly. But they treat it like you know all your neighbors. That's it. why when the when the first episode came out, I thought it was set like in coal country. Right. I thought it was like upstate or western Pennsylvania. Um, and to be honest, the accents were, were wonky in that first episode. And that's part of the reason why I thought that. And then when they mentioned they were in Delaware County, I was like, oh, that's, that doesn't look like Delaware. Anyway. But the actors are very good. Mm -hmm. Um, they're, they're terrific. And I'm not really a fan of Kate Winslet. Um, oh, I'm a huge fan. But she's, she's doing a phenomenal job. I she mean, is. Her, she's playing that character in a way that he, it, it's just amazing. Her performance is really, really good. Um, last episode, she had a scene with uh, Jim uh, Smart when they had a fight, mm -hmm. and it was one of the most beautiful things you could watch on television. Yeah. These two amazing actresses um, with very different backgrounds. I mean, yeah. Jean Smart is an American television right. actress, and uh, Kate Winslet is a British, mostly film right. actress. And it was just a beautiful fight. Yes, and um, one of the things I, I I see, I'm a big Kate Winslet fan, and I really like her. And uh, I've always said she's very good at playing Americans. And it's not just um, that she gets the accent correct. It's that she gets the attitude. Like, she removes all the Englishness in her body language and in her thinking. Um, and she looks and yeah. sounds. Like, when you look at um, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind is literally one of my top three films of all time. I could sit and watch it anytime it appears in view. And I love her performance in that because it is so perfectly a specific type of girl, a specific type of American girl that I have known in yeah, my life. Yeah. You know what I, 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 I just feel I like... I can name a ton of friends. <laughs> that's what I mean. It's like you need a yes. really good eye and ear as an actor from another country to pick up and and on that kind of personality and then recreate it. And she's doing that with Mare. Uh, where she is, there's a lot about Mare that, yes, yeah, she sounds and carries herself and, and feels like a local girl to me in a lot of ways. Like, yes, I do know that girl. But, I, I do know some version right. of Mare. You made a very good point. I didn't even think about it. That she is capable of that, not just doing a good job with the accent, but she removes all her... Englishness. Englishness or international everything of her. Um, and then just becomes that person. Yeah. Um, she, yeah, she, she does that. And Jean Smart, like I said, very different background. She's an American television actress who's been in a million different shows for 35 years. If you, you know, she's gone back to designing women. So it is, it is actually exciting to see the two of them mm -hmm. going like hammer and tongs at each other as mother and daughter. And 
absolutely believable. I just do love, they sound yeah, like local Philadelphia women fighting? Yes, they do. Oh my God, the dialogue. We talked about that. Like yeah. The dialogue. I, I, I can, yeah, every line, every everything they said was like, I've heard a ton of people say the same thing with the same tone of voice. Jean Smart is amazing. I mean, I loved her in Fargo. She's just great. She's a, So the two of them are fantastic. They're the whole reason to watch the show. Yes, the yes. rest of the cast is okay, but not as... Oh, Evan Peters is great, actually. I, his drunk scene in this oh last episode God, was yes. just really good acting. There was a lot going on there, and he nails the accent as well. He, in some ways, I think he nails the Philly accent better mm-hmm. than Kate Winslet does. Um, he did a phenomenal job because... it. Some people do very bad drunk, uh, you know, impersonation, and, and and he did a phenomenal job. I thought he he did great, um, just nice. Yeah. And I, in the beginning, I was like, really, they cast him? Uh, but he's good. He's no, really, he's really all, good. I think he's a very reliable character actor. I think he's very good. Um, I think uh, now Guy, in the final in this past episode, um, it it went in a direction at the end of the episode that I did not see coming with with um, Mare with Kate Winslet's character. Mm-hmm. Uh, like a lot of these lady detective cops, she, you know, doesn't wear a lot of makeup and she wears frumpy clothes and she's quote, not likable. So she's like a gruff, you know, and, and this is a cliche. And then the last episode ended on something where it's like, well, holy shit, she's not just likable. This is bad. Like Mm -hmm. she did something bad, bad, uh, corrupt and a huge violation of her, you know, of her role as a, as a detective and everything. And it ends on that moment. And I don't know what's happening next. I know. That's how I felt. Because in, in real life, the show would end kind of like her, her appearance. Would yeah. End. But I'm, I'm curious to see how they're going to make it work. Yeah. Um, it's clearly not doing what I thought it was going to do. Um, because she basically got stripped of her her badge and i don't see how she gets it back in time to solve this murder so i really don't know where it's going we'll see all right but mayor of Easttown, yeah i gotta say we're enjoying it and i'm hoping to do a write-up bef- maybe by the time it ends or before it ends no we'll I'm, I'm 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 obsessed and i was just gonna say uh before i got interrupted that guy pierce he kind of disappointment for me i don't know if the character doesn't have much I think uh, he's do. a very overrated actor. But he, yeah, he's a little, he's bland. There's he nothing going on. He didn't used to be yeah. bland when he was young, but in his middle age, he's become a very bland actor. And I, right. I can't remember the last time I, he did something interesting for me. Anyway, that's that about. And he's probably the killer. Ooh. Maybe. Yeah, I think he's, I, I think he's That iffy. would be too obvious. Come on. <laughs> we'll see. All right. So finally, to wrap up our thoughts. Why we're not covering Pose. I really wanted to address this, and I batted it around for a while. We had a discussion earlier this week about it. You know, Pose is um, the FX show. Uh, It was launched by Ryan Murphy, but now it's produced by uh, Stephen Canals and Janet Mocker are basically guiding that ship. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's about the ball scene uh, in the 80s and the 90s. And you would think that we would be all over that. And we have covered Pose in the past. But if you followed it, you knew that we didn't. We weren't completely in love with the show. There are parts about it that we loved and parts about it that we didn't love. Uh, When Ryan Murphy sort of gave up control of the show to Janet Mock and Stephen Canals, it it really went in a direction that I'm not sure. Well, I am sure. I don't like the direction it went in. But we (laughs) talked about this, about unpacking how to talk about this because what what i'm going to talk about here is not a criticism of the show um 
because I have pretty much removed myself from watching the show. I don't really watch it all that much. I did not see the premiere. I went and watched the finale of season two last week in preparation to start watching the premiere. And I wound up turning it off about three quarters of the way through. And I came to you and I said, I can't cover this show. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, because I'm not the right person for it. Right. Um, and this, this kind of goes down to a point about when you're, when you think of yourself as a critic, as a television critic, or you don't have to weigh in on everything. And there are certain things that you should examine what your feelings are about them be before weighing in, uh, which I did. Here's my th thing with Pose. The creators of Pose, what, and that, starting with Ryan Murphy, but it, this was definitely picked up by uh, Janet Mock. They made a decision that I personally don't like, but it is not in, I feel like I almost don't have a place in this discussion to critique it. And the, de the decision was this. They decided to look at the ball scene of the Paris is Burning era, which is really where where it start, the show started, which was in the 80s at the Harlem Balls. And it was interesting when it first started, and I think we actually reviewed it and said, huh, this is kind of an interesting take, which is that they, instead of focusing on, uh, in the way that, you know, if you've watched Paris is Burning, the, one of the crit criticisms of that documentary is that it, it was um, shot and directed by a white woman. A white lesbian woman who was not part of the balls, not part of the black or community or the, you know, um, Latinx community that made up the balls at that time. And that she be, possibly because of her middle class background, her middle class white background, she tended to focus way too much on the very tragic sort of ghetto-esque. Mm -hmm. There was a sort of a colonialist sort of take on, on this documentary, if, you were, if you're willing to look at it through a certain critical lens, where she focused way too much on... Um, faces that were missing teeth you know what i mean like that there was a lot of that and a lot of placing people in very poor looking poverty stricken ghetto-esque backgrounds and shooting their stories there um and that's a valid criticism it's why we always tell and we said it in our book you know you you should start with paris is burning but there are so many other uh right places to go to look at what the modern ball community is and look at what the real story of the ball community was um, so Pose, I feel, was, um, conceptualized as a sort of corrective to that image of, um, just, just hopeless people, poverty-stricken people in, in a ghetto background with, a, you know, battling AIDS and crack mm -hmm. addictions and all. It was a corrective to that image. And what they did was they took it in such a direction that it's it almost has no um, relationship to what the reality of the balls were mm -hmm. uh, at that time. And I mean, this was the height of the AIDS crisis. And the people that are being depicted in the story in Pose are uh, supposed to be people without a lot of job prospects and without a lot of money. And yet they have stunning costumes week after week after week. And the storyline started going in these very almost fantasy-based mm -hmm. 
you know, one one of them got a modeling career and the other one opened a beauty shop. And of course, these things, I know where those storylines went. And I also know that they were based on real stories of the time. Those stories happened. But those stories did happen. But the show is treating them in a, in a much more fantasy mm-hmm. sort of, um, everybody looks great. And yes, people don't live in great apartments. Like there is that aspect that uh, that people are struggling and trying to get by and there are health issues and people go into the hospital and some of them don't come out and some of them do. And that is actually how AIDS was. Uh, I mean, there are people today alive with HIV who have had it for 35 or 40 years. So not everybody back then died of AIDS. Of course not. Um, it's fine that the show made this decision to to elevate the image of these people, the image of the ball community, to not focus on tragedy, but to focus more on beauty, on art, on aspiration. And all of that is not inaccurate, but if that's the only focus, it feels, um, it didn't feel true to me. Now, the reason I didn't, I never wrote this piece and I don't review the show is because as a white cis gay man who has no connection to the ball community whatsoever, I am in no position to be criticizing mm-hmm. black or Latinx queer creators. Um, Janet Mock is a trans woman. I'm in no position to be criticizing them for wanting to take a more fantasy-based mm-hmm. take. Um, so I'm using this this sort of venue to to sort of talk it out and say... This is why I don't cover the show. This isn't a criticism of the show. It's simply, I don't agree with this direction. And if I were to review the show, I would have a very hard time removing myself from that conversation. Right, right, right. It's, 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 it's pretty, it's pretty much the thing, the thing with, um, with shows like, uh, Pose and we talked about Ryan Murphy in Hollywood, for example. Hollywood, yeah. It's because he, he, he gets a good idea and then romanticizes it and 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 then you know get all these wonderful costumes and sets and then it turns into a i don't a know fantasy, a, a gay fantasy. fantasy um so it because if, if you look at pose it, it, it's a very in general not everything but in general it's a very sad story it's it very, is it's a very sad story so if you want to talk about present a sad story in this fantasy type of uh, tv show you can do it, but if you know a little bit of the history, uh, you know, of what mm-hmm. happened at the time, it doesn't ring true or half true. There's um, something about Pose, uh, and this is a hard thing to, to. it's really hard as a cis writer, critic, or whatever, or observer to talk about this, because, you know, you have to be careful. You have to be careful. But we did a lot of research into the ball community when we were writing our book and a lot of documentaries and a lot of news stories, a lot of video interviews of, of people. And the f- fact is that the trans women who walked the balls in in the AIDS era um, did not have access to the kind of um, uh, transitions that the actresses who were playing them mm-hmm have Mm -hmm. and this becomes an issue about casting trans actresses Mm -hmm. in period pieces because a lot of the trans women who walked the balls did so without the benefit of any transitional you know uh, there Mm -hmm. was no physical trend they declared their womanhood but they couldn't take hormones because they couldn't afford them 
and they couldn't have any sort of surgery because they couldn't afford it. They were trans women, of course. I'm not taking it. But the whole look of that world was very different from the very glamorous and beautiful women that are portraying them in this story. And again, who am I to say that MJ Rodriguez can't... I mean, she's amazing in this show. Uh, Or India Moore or any of those actors. It's not that I... I, I oppose that, but as someone who spent a lot of time researching that history, I just can't look at it without saying, yeah, okay, this is a very 2021 television version of something right. uh, of a moment in time. And like I said, the people involved in the show, especially Janet Mock, is extreme, are extremely aware of this. These are conscious decisions that they made. They're not mistakenly showing some uh, idealized version of this world. They made that choice because they wanted to elevate the stories of those people. Mm-hmm. They didn't want to show them as uh, tragic figures uh, or figures who had mm-hmm. no access or had no, you know, whatever. And that is a valid artistic choice coming from someone in that community mm-hmm. who wants to do that. Right. But again, I, as a viewer, I'm like, this is not the version of the ball community I want to see fictionalized. It, it, it's, it's just a, not. It's a very hopeful um, view and, and point of view, which is valid. Yes, um, and they have that We right. do need that. Of course. Um, and I have to say, Pose is a great show in the sense that it presented a community that we didn't have on television before. I agree. Same thing with Drag Race. Um, mm-hmm. It just presented a community that nobody, a lot of people didn't know about mm-hmm. or you know, didn't look at them on their TV. Mm-hmm. Um, so the show brought that, and I think it's great. Um, the fact that they have transgender actors, I think it's phenomenal. I yeah. think it's fantastic. However, I feel that the um, show suffers a little bit because these people are not that talented as actors. Some of them are overpraised. Uh, I think MJ Rodriguez is great. I, I think India Moore is questionable. India Moore is not good. Dominic Jackson is not good. And I couldn't name all of them, and I don't want to do that because it's just, you know, it's just cruel. I don't want to do that. But most of them are not good actors. And then when they're, you know, saying their lines and, and in a situation where they have to really act and, and, and present a more dramatic uh, scene, it's just just a work. And there are good trans actresses out there. Um, it's not that they couldn't have cast them in those roles, mm-hmm. but they cast certain people for the way they look right. um, and for how they could walk a ball scene and everything like that. They and, are gorgeous and they look amazing in their costumes. Yeah. But sometimes they say a line or they, they just get in into a conversation and I'm like, oh my God. Billy Porter carries the show because he's yes, the, yes. the one. Re- and mm-hmm. like I said, I think MJ Rodriguez is a she, great actress. She's, she's actually good. very good. Mm-hmm. But you get past them, and the the acting isn't that great. The writing is very aspirational and occasionally preachy. Um, and I, in there are episodes where I was like, God, you know, I don't mean to be an asshole, but nobody talked like this back then, in this sort of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, very twenty first century sort of woke it's vocabulary. Very- I'm like, even in the community, nobody was talking that way back right. then. If you watch. Interviews of people in the ball community back then, they didn't even call them, a lot of them called themselves transsexuals or drag queens, right. even though they later, you know, came out as, as trans women. But you never see that in period representations. You never see the them use language that would be questionable today. Although, But that was the reality of, 
you know, again, we're looking at this. We're not queer historians, but we did write a queer mm-hmm. history book. And it's very hard for us to remove that perspective and, and, and look at it as the as the clearly aspirational fantasy-based show that it is trying to be. Yeah, um, and I go on social media and I see how people react to the show, and the young people especially. Uh, they're fascinated by it. They don't know a lot of things. They're, they're presented with facts for the first time. And I think this is all incredible. I agree. But at the same time, you can't help, but it, it does clash a little bit with, with someone who is a little older <laughs> yeah. watching the show. I mean, so... <laughs> it. it yeah, it, 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 and this is why we don't cover it because right. it, the, all of this is in the mix, and it's not fair to the show. The show needs to be taken on its own terms right. and critiqued based on what it's trying to do. We don't really agree with what it's trying to do, so but we acknowledge that it has every right to do that. And it's that. doing a good thing. It's doing a very good exactly. thing. Exactly, um, I do believe so. Um, like I said, we didn't have shows like those. I mean, no. I mean, a lot of people didn't know about uh, Paris is Burning or anything related right. to the ball. And there are trans kids and queer kids who right. are watching that show who are getting an exposure right. to a slice of history that they might not have otherwise. Uh, so again, it's all good. It's just that I cannot approach the show in a critical manner um, without bringing this sort of stuff up. And I'm, I don't think it's worth it. I don't think it's worth it. Who cares what a white cis man thinks about this? It, it, you know, the, the people involved in the show right. are of that community. They have the right to write what they want. And I just wanted to sort of explore this, not as a criticism of the show, and it isn't, mm-hmm. but uh, to sort of explore the role of a critic within this sort of, and whether or not we have a, uh, an obligation or, or whatever to, to talk about it. Um. I'm happy that Pose exists, and I'm happy that other people are are writing reviews and recaps of the show. I'm happy that it has a fandom, but it isn't my thing. It isn't my thing, bottom line, and uh, that's why we don't write about it. Right. Um, and, you know, I'm... And maybe it wouldn't exist if it wasn't for Ryan Murphy in a way, so... Yeah, I'm not really... This is not a criticism. This is not a criticism of anybody. I don't think these decisions were a mistake. Uh, You know, I don't think these arose out of people being ill-informed or... You know, this was deliberate. I respect the decision, but I'm not into it. Um, And that's it. I don't know. That's our little TV talk. Would Mm -hmm. love to hear what people think about any of the shows shows, that we've mentioned or specifically what you think about what we've said here about Pose. Um, That's it. I hope we didn't get too serious or whatever. I don't know. No, no, no. But I I think it's great that we have so much queer uh, television today. Um, You know, when you look and think about it, there's a lot more than you we used to have in the past. I agree, and that is nothing but a good thing. Yep, yep, yep. So, kittens, uh, that's it for this week. Thank you for listening to our Cartoon Voices. We will have more to say next week. We have a new newsletter coming out yes. within the next 24 hours, so Excited check that out and subscribe if you like it, because you would be helping us out. Anyway, until next week, thank you for listening to our Cartoon Voices. Take care of yourself. Love you. Mean it. Bye-bye. Bye.